Well, good morning. My name is Andy Rock. I'm the pastor of Coastal Community Church, formerly known as First Presbyterian Church of Grover Beach, and we're part of the same Presbyterian family and heritage, and so I've been with you guys and praying with you guys, and with Graham Baird, and then Sean, and then uh, now with your elders for the past 10 years. I've been praying for your church and ministering with your church, largely at Presbyterian, so it is an absolute delight to be with you this morning. Secretly, I must confess that I've wanted to preach at Highlands for 10 years, and, uh, and, so, and so now I, have to, I had to actually pay to preach here this morning, so uh, I won't, it'll be another 10 years before we're going to save up enough money. Well, we've been, uh, this is week two in, in the sermon series on heroes. And Israel Gonzalez, wonderful pastor down in Santa Maria, preached an amazing sermon last week on, on heroes. And so I, with fear and trepidation, I will follow Israel's uh, example. And if you were to speak to one of the heroes of faith in the Bible, they tell you two things. Number one, they tell you that God is the hero of my story. That when I'm faithless or faithful, when I'm lost or I'm found, when I am, I, I am full of hope and joy or I'm full of fear and shame, that God is the one who saves me and transforms me and redeems me than to use me. Not because I'm good enough, not because I've done enough, but because he's enough. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus died the death I should have died and lived the life I could not live. That on the cross, he took my sin and then, so my debt was minus a billion dollars and he brought it up to zero. And then he deposited into my account all of his righteousness, all of his reputation, everything that he's ever earned. And now I have everything that I ever need. So I don't have to worry about my past. It's paid for. And I don't have to earn my worthiness. Jesus gives it to me. We need to hear that each and every week. So I've been preaching through 1 Kings at my church, which is, I feel like I'm three pages ahead of the class. Um, I really have not read a lot of 1 Kings um, I'm a Presbyterian. We, we stay in, in the New Testament. And it's, it's not true at all. I just, it's a bad joke. Anyways, so in 1 Kings, 1 Kings opens up with King David dying. And then it tells the story of Solomon. Solomon um, being the wisest man that ever lived. But tragically, at the end of Solomon's life, um, being married to 700 women and having 300 concubines changes a person for the worse. <laughs> So Solomon starts putting up all these different temples of all the gods that his wives worship. Horrible, horrible temples like Molech where they'd sacrifice kids. Like Asherah and Baal where they'd have temple prostitution. Church looked a little bit different for them. So what ends up happening with Solomon's legacy is that after Solomon dies in 1 Kings chapter 11, we get seven kings after him that just the whole trajectory of Israel just goes, I mean, it just, it just destroys, is destroyed. And then Elijah, then when, when all of Israel is at its worst, that's when Elijah comes. Okay, so I know you got up this morning and you really wanted to hear about all of the kings of Israel. So let me tell you about them. All right. First, 
there was Jeroboam. And here's Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, he set up idols. Next was Nadab. Nadab was an evildoer. Then was Basha. He was a murderer. After Basha was Elah, and he was a drinkard, drunkard. And after that, Zimri was really bad. She murdered Elah. Now, let me just make it really clear. I'm a political atheist. I don't believe in the Democrats or the Republicans. I believe that Jesus can save us. Amen? Okay. Now, after... Uh, Elah, there was this guy named Omri. Here's Omri. Omri was terrible. First Kings 16, 25 says he did more evil than all who was before him. But even worse than Omri was his son, Ahab. Did, did, do you get that? Ahab, shall I launch the missiles now? No, I just said lunch. Anyways, Ahab, if we read in 1st 16, somebody just got that. 1st uh, Kings 16, ready? Let's read this together. This is great. In the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, you're not reading with me. Uh, I'm not performing and you're not an audience. We're a church. So let's read this together. You ready? In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who worked before him. Wow. Whoa. What a... What a reputation that's written on his tombstone. Peeved off God more than anybody else. Isn't it amazing what difference Solomon's legacy makes? Brothers and sisters, you are called to lead your family and in your workplace and in your school. You're called to lead until the day that you die, pointing people to Jesus, telling your story of I was lost, then Jesus, and now I'm found. Never, ever, ever stop. Your legacy lasts your entire life and then in generations to come. And it matters what you do with your time and your money and your body and your relationships. It matters. So, King Ahab, not a great guy. King Ahab marries a spectacular woman named Jezebel. She's got a really good sauce named after her. And Jezebel, um, Jezebel had a dad, and her dad was named Eth Baal. If you've been around the Bible for a little bit, you notice anything about her dad's name? Yeah, Baal was the name of a really bad god, okay? And so Jezebel, her dad says, you know what? I'm going to name myself after a god that's not Yahweh. Really bad, okay? He has a daughter. So Ahab, the king of Israel, who's supposed to be the political and theological leader of Israel, doesn't just rebel against God. He actually marries someone who has lived her whole life in rebellion from God. And Ahab does one more than that. He sets up temples to worship Baal all over Israel. Now, what is, what is Baal? Baal is the rain god. In an agrarian society, if it rains, what happens? Let me repeat this once again, right? When I ask you a question, you yell out whatever answer comes to mind, right? Okay? We, where we go wine here, right? If it rains, what grows? Yes. Okay. 
So, in an agrarian society, if it rains, if you pray to the rain god, then that means you're going to have crops. And if you have crops, that means you're going to have food and money, right? Well, they like, people like to worship Baal and Asherah together because Asherah was the goddess of good fortune. And so, you covered all of your bases, right? So, basically, Ahab loves money. Oh, oh wait. Ahab is a politician and his god is money. Does that sound familiar? First hmm. Kings 17.1. Let's read this together. You ready? Here we go. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, okay, let's pause there. Gilead is in the middle of nowhere, right? It's in the hill country. It's in the sticks. It's not even like Bakersfield, right? It's, it's Oildale. That's Gilead, okay? Right? Now, but he wasn't even from Oildale. He's from Tishbe, which is outside of Oildale, which is the equivalent of being from Nukuyama, right? Right? There's Nukuyama. I love their math here. There's, it's, that's one of my favorite signs as you drive out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, so... Elijah, where's he from? He's from nowhere. Who is he? He's a country bumpkin. And where does he go? Let's keep on reading. So Elijah from Tishbite, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, since he's from New Kayuma, he goes to Jerusalem or Samaria, sorry, he goes to Samaria and there he goes to the king and he says this, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, I'm sorry, I'm being a guy from New Kuyama. I don't know if they speak like that. Maybe they do. Whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, so just put yourself in Elijah's shoes. He's talking to the king of his country, and he's just saying that your God, Baal, the rain God, is actually dead. And my God, Yahweh, whom you should be worshiping and leading, is alive. And me and my God, Yahweh, we talk all the time because he's alive. And I listen to him and he speaks to me. And he and I have agreed it's not going to rain for three and a half years. So all your prayers to Baal, they're going to do nothing because he's dead. Would you ever say that to the president? How does Ahab feel about Elijah right about now? Come on, come on. How does Ahab feel about Elijah right now? Yeah, he's mad, right? He's, he's I mean, that's it. That's, he says, okay, I'll, you, I, you're, you're done, right? Uh, oh, yeah, you're going to, who are you? Where are you from? Nukuyama. That's it, you're done. I love this. Next verse, 1 Kings 17, 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, right? Elijah, thank you, Jesus. I'm out, right? And God says to him, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, which is another way of saying, get the heck out of here right now. Ahab's going to kill you, right? East of the Jordan. So in the, in the wilderness, in, in, in a non-populated area, there's no in and outs. There's no Walmarts, right? There's no takeout. There's no internet service. And it's going to be in a drought. And God says, I want you to go to this ravine. 
He says, you're going to drink from the brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah is scared to death. He's running out of Ahab's palace, and God is saying, by the way, I'm going to deliver your food by bird. <laughs> Elijah's like, all right. Mm. <laughs> this is my favorite verse uh, recently. There's another one, verse 10, which is even great. Verse 5 says this, so he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. Verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book. Can you imagine? Every single morning you wake up and a bird flies to you with a cheeseburger. <laughs> Every evening, there's a BLT. Actually, he's Jewish, so it would be like a turkey sandwich, right? So, <laughs> turkey sandwich it comes to him. And it's a drought, but there's water. You need to know that God's going to provide for you. Elijah spoke to God and he listened to God and that fellowship with God changed his life. Your fellowship and connection with God is going to change your life. It's only after praying with God and connecting with Him and resting in Him that you're going to find that you can trust Him with everything. And God is saying to you in this passage, I'm going to provide everything for you Do not worry. See, when you and I get afraid, what we do is that, first of all, we freak out. And then fear always paints a picture of the future in which God is absent and the people that we love are hurt and what we need isn't there, right? So what do we do with that picture of the future when fear comes? We get busy in the present, utilizing our pride, acting on our fear to try and prevent this fearful future from happening. And how does that work out? Oh, come on. How does that work out? Amen. Has it ever worked to live your life out of fear? No. And what happens is that when we start living out of fear, we act as if God will not provide. We act as if God is not present in the future. We act as as if God is in heaven hitting the panic button. I don't know what to do. I can't text her. She's not listening to me. What am I going to do? Right? You got to stand against fear. You got to look at the face of Jesus who saved you on the cross, who redeemed you out of death and brought you into life. And you say, Jesus, you are my hope and my future. I have nothing to be afraid of. Lord Jesus, give this church a spirit not of fear or timidity, but one of power and love and self control. Right now, all there's, there's people who are afraid of the future. Oh, Lord Jesus, give them a picture of the truth of your hope and your joy, the truth of your kingdom in which you, Holy Spirit, are working all things together for good, in which you are bringing redemption and hope and peace to them. Amen? Amen. Let's keep on reading. Verse 7. Sometime later, read this with me. Sometime later, the book dried up because there had been no rain in the land. How is Elijah feeling? How would you feel? Mm-hmm. So, what does Elijah do? Elijah then, he waits. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
So Elijah obeys, verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. This is incredible. Zarephath is in Sidon. The king of Sidon is Jezebel's dad, Ethbal. So God is telling Elijah to go to the place where his enemies live. Elijah obeys. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and there he came to a town gate. And a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Look at the audaciousness of Elijah. Has it rained recently? He's just come from a place where all the water has dried up. And he goes to Zarephath and he asks, Hey, bring me some water. And then he tags it at the end and make me a sandwich. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so she's like, say what? And she turns around and I love this. She says this, just this. Just uh, full of grief, she says this. As surely as the Lord, your God, lives. Does she believe in Yahweh? But it wasn't my God. She says, surely as your God lives, I don't have any bread. I have like a quarter cup of flour and a tablespoon of olive oil. And I'm gathering sticks because there's no wood. Everybody's already used it. I'm gathering sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we would eat this tiny little pancake, and then we're going to die. You ever been at that place in your life? My son, Jonah, who's 10, had a stroke before he was born. And uh, the doctor said, I think we, you know, we think you should have an abortion. We said No. So he was born at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and just this great, perfect little boy. He really was. He was like a Gerber baby. He was just adorable. And everything was great for a year and a half until he started having unstoppable seizures. They last two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. And he had them for years. And April and I, my wife, you know, we didn't have PTSD. We had TSD. We had traumatic stress disorder the entire time because four, five, ten, twelve times a year, Joan would have to be rushed to the emergency room because our boy was dying. And unless he was intubated or unless he got a ton of medicine, um, he'd die. So I know what this widow feels like. I know what this widow says. I have no resources I have nothing, and my child is about to die. I know the hopelessness and the grief comes. I know all the doubts that the enemy brings to you when you feel like you have nothing left because this is what happens with suffering in our lives. Every single time the enemy says this, God will not provide for you. See, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't love you. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. God has a reason why Jonah, then three years ago, and two weeks from now, it'll be the three anniversary, had his left brain, his entire left brain removed at UCLA to save him from the seizures. And now he's seizure free. And he's never going to talk. And he's never going to be potty trained. But my son glorifies Jesus every day. And people see us and hear our story and in the places where they are wounded and broken and suffering, they find hope. 
Because the story of my life is that God is my hero. And as she walks away, this widow walks away, Elijah says something to her which you and I desperately need to hear in the middle of our suffering. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. That's the word of hope and of promise. And it changes this woman's heart because she had turned on Elijah to say, I'm done with you. And then when Elijah tells her about the hope, the promise of God that he really is good and he really does care, something changes within her. Verse 17, or verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And you know the rest of the story. Every time she puts the measuring cup in the flour, there's more and the olive oil keeps on pouring and there's enough water and she sees her son grow strong and she sees her body grow strong and she becomes alive because Ahab worshipped a God who is dead and Elijah and you and I worship a God who is alive. Our Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated sin and he is alive and we are a people who once were dead, once were broken, once who had numb and stony hearts and now by the power of his Holy Spirit we are alive and so like this woman we can say I want once was dead, I once was lost, but then the promise of God became real in the person of his son Jesus and in the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, and now I am alive. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for the people here right now who are in the middle of suffering and sorrow and grief, and heartache. And I pray against the lie the enemy has spoken to them that you, God, cannot be trusted, that you're not enough, that we have to be afraid. I break that lie now in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that you would reveal the truth about your goodness and your love and your faithfulness to this beloved church, these sweet people. Holy Spirit, guard their hearts and minds. Bless them this day. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's saints said, Amen. Amen.